Lord, I pray for our hearts this morning as we wrestle with truth, as we wrestle with hope. Uh, And I pray for the hearts of the people who are here today who are struggling to sing those very words. Um, It's one thing to say it, a whole other thing to do it. For many, our hearts are broken. So, Lord, would you heal us? Would, you, would your spirit just, just fillet us open and, and may our hearts be laid before you and, and, and may the Holy Spirit do his work and may the great physician bring the healing that's needed. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being such a good, good God. Yeah. Thanks for Christ. Amen. All right, please have a seat. Oh. Uh, take your Bibles, if you have them there with you, and go to the, the book of Habakkuk. It's a fun name. Anybody want to use that for your next kid? Hey, Habakkuk, how are you? Um, good. Talk amongst yourselves just for a second as you're turning. I want to ask a little trivia question. So, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Go ahead. Tell the person next to you. Ask each other. What's your favorite book of the Bible? Go for it. All right, out of all those answers, anybody pick Habakkuk? I don't see any hands, Um, which just proves how weird I am. Habakkuk is my absolute, without exception, my favorite book of the Bible. Um, I think you may understand a little better when, when you hear it, when we talk about it, when we walk through it. One of the things I really like about Habakkuk is it's not a, a laid out theology where it's like boom, 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 and you got to be able to follow it all and, and deep, deeply study some of the words and, and some different things. But, but instead, what it is, it's a conversation. And so we get to eavesdrop on a conversation. Any of you, don't raise your hand. Any of you ever eavesdrop on a conversation before? Okay, so, so I'll share a little story from my incredible past. When I was 13 year old Romeo, I had a little girlfriend. Um, and we were, um, yeah, I was sitting at a table with my friends, and sh- her friends were sitting behind me. Now, she wasn't there, okay? And so I was sitting with my friends, and then all her friends were behind me, and, and all of a sudden I heard my name. Isn't that weird how you can pick up your name like that? It's like, oh, they're talking about me. And so I was trying to be all sly, and I was in my chair, and I kind of leaned my chair back so I could listen. And what I overheard was that this young lady who, you know, you know, we had a very deep relationship at age 13. Um, she, she was planning on ending the relationship. I know. It's painful, isn't it? Man. Young love. So uh, as mature as I was as a 13-year-old, I decided, okay, if she's going to break up with me tomorrow morning, then I'm going to break up with her tonight and beat her to it. Right? Amen. That's right. Can I get a witness? Um, so I... I um, broke up with her that evening. The next morning at breakfast, all of her friends came to me and they were just like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? What, are you, what, what did happen? I'm like, I heard you guys. They're like, we know, we knew you were listening. That's why we said it. Oops. Um, needless to say, she would not have me back. That's okay. <laughs> um, when you eavesdrop on a conversation, it's amazing some of the things you can hear. Now, the book of Habakkuk, we're going to listen, but it's not going to sound like young love. 
It's um, going to sound a lot more like this. <laughs> so God, where are you? Lord, what are you doing? How could that possibly be good for me? How will what just happened be good? How could you possibly allow that to happen? How am I supposed to make it through this? Where are you, God? Have any of you ever asked those questions? Um, but be honest, even if you didn't say them out loud, God knows your heart, so you're guilty. May I encourage you, just right out of the gate as we get to the book of Habakkuk, be reminded that asking those questions is never a bad thing. Because the God to whom we are asking them is a big, big God. And he loves you. And he wants to hear your questions. Questions about um, the sudden, unexpected loss of your job. Even, even the questions about a car that's not running well. Questions about um, just a difficult neighbor situation. The question um, about a child who just chooses to run towards rebellion every time. And the question about a relationship between a husband and wife and your, you and your spouse well, that's just breaking up and it's, 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 it's falling apart. The questions that we have asked far too many times about the death of one of our young people. Ask your questions. Those are the types of questions that Habakkuk is asking. So let me, let me give you just a brief outline of what the book looks like, and then we're going to look at it. So, so um, if you, you think about it this way, it's a running conversation between Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk begins by asking a question. God responds. And then, then Habakkuk responds to God's response by not asking another question, by almost making an accusation against God. God responds. And then Habakkuk just exclaims and begins to praise. So, so what types of questions is, are, is Habakkuk asking? So let's look at chapter 1, starting in verse 2, and this is what you're going to find. Lord, How long will I cry for help and you won't hear me? Or cry out to you about violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction, violence, those are before me. Strife and contention, they continue to arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked are surrounding the righteous. So any justice that does go is perverted. 
hear the cry of Habakkuk. He's like, God, where are you? Do you see what's happening here? Where, where are you? Why, why aren't you acting? Why aren't you answering me? Why, why, don't you even care about the violence and the, the injustice that is happening? Don't you even care about what I'm going through and what I actually have to look? Where are you, God? I think that in difficult times, I, I think that there's a, a level that we, we, we view God as either not being good, not being in control, um, just, just not being present. We, we view God as being too busy for us or maybe even unaware, and that's why certain things happen to us. But, but can I be honest with you? The thing that breaks our heart the most is feeling like God is ignoring us. Why don't you answer me? Why are you just sitting there watching what's happening and, and not jumping in and not, not giving me at least a little glimmer of hope? God, why don't you answer me? This moment right here, right now, stinks. Where are you, God? That's Habakkuk's cry. Now for Habakkuk, it's interesting. God answers. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. God says this to Habakkuk. So the law is paralyzed. Sorry, verse 5. That was verse 4. Let me try verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. See, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if told. So what God says is this. Hi, Habakkuk, I'm here. You're looking for me? Well, I'm here. Now, get ready, because I'm about to tell you something, and even though I'm going to spell it out from beginning to end, you are still not going to be able to believe it. Even if it's told to you, it's going to blow your mind. So in essence, what God says, hey, Habakkuk says, God, where are you? And God says, I- I'm right here. Buckle up. Hmm. Have you ever heard about the Chaldeans? Verse 6, behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, which is another name for Babylon, that, that bitter and that hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that aren't their own. They're, they're dreaded, they're fearsome, their justice and dignity go, go forth from themselves. Their, their horses, swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, and their faces are facing forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. At rulers, they laugh. They they laugh at every fortress because they just pile up earth and then take it. Then they sweep by like the wind, and they go on, guilty men whose might is their own God. What, What God says in response to Habakkuk, God, where are you? God says, I'm right here. Buckle up. Have you ever heard of the Babylonians? I'm going to use them to take care of the situation there at home. See, the, the, the Babylonians are, are this group of people, and God does a great job describing them. He says they're, they're without rival, they make their own rules, they're, they're fast like, like leopards, and they devour things like hungry evening wolves. They're very successful in everything that they do when it comes to trying to overthrow places. It says they gather prisoners like they gather the sand. So picture yourself at the beach, just kind of lumping it all together. That's how easy it was for the Chaldeans, for the Babylonians, to take prisoners. They scoffed at rulers. They laughed and mocked kings. One of the the more popular Bible stories regarding the Chaldeans or the Babylonians is when Nebuchadnezzar um, was uh, sieging um, Judah, and and, and in Judah they had 
found King Zedekiah and chased him, and they continued to pursue him, and they finally caught King Zedekiah, and the, the Chaldeans brought King Zedekiah to them, and they got all his sons together, and they brought his sons before him. So now here stands King Zedekiah. The Chaldeans take his boys, and they murder his boys in front of him, and then they poke out his eyes. So the last thing he saw, death of his sons. That's the Chaldeans. God said, Habakkuk, I'm here. I'm watching. And I have the answer. It's the Chaldeans. Hear this very interesting response from Habakkuk in response. So verse 12, verse chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, my rock, have established them for reproof. Hear the the worship tone in his voice as he talks back to God. But that's about to change. (laughs) O you, my rock, have established them for reproof. Now you, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man who's more righteous than he? Habakkuk, in essence, says this. Okay, God, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? You're going to use the wicked Babylonians to come in. I mean, you're going to use somebody that is so wicked. I mean, we're not even that bad. I know I was complaining about how bad we were and how you weren't acting. And then you said, well, I'm going to bring in the Babylonians. And now I'm like, no, not them. Chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk, after saying that to God. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He says, listen, (laughs) Habakkuk is now knowing that he's in the middle of a running conversation with God. And so he makes this accusation. God, I know you're God. I understand you're God and and you're from everlasting and you're my holy one. I know you've ordained them as judgment and you're my rock and you've established them for reproof. I know all that, but I think you have lost your mind. And then he says, I'm going to go stand out on the watchtower. Because I know God's about to answer me. And I'll wait. And I'll watch for that answer. And God does not disappoint. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 5. God says this, Moreover, wine's a traitor. An arrogant man is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects and collects as his own all people. Okay, so let me run the conversation again. I don't want you to lose the the flow of the conversation. So you remember Habakkuk's looking around, he sees evil, and he says, God, why aren't you doing anything about it? Where are you? And God says, hey, I'm right here. I got an answer for you. Ever heard of the Chaldeans? And Habakkuk says, God, you are certainly God. However, in this situation, you have lost your mind. And God comes back and says, hey, 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 Habakkuk, I'm God. I know who they are, 
And then God proves he knows who they are, starting in verse 6, running all the way down to verse 20. I'm not going to read the whole thing for time's sake. I just want to point out a few things. But what he does is he walks through and says, I know how guilty they are. I know the specifics of their guilt, and I'm going to judge them for their guilt. Starting in verse 6, in the middle, he says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. He's plundering against the nations and, and gathering for himself what, what isn't his, and he's, he's bringing it into his home. Verse 8, he says, Woe to you, why? Because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples will now plunder you. Verse 9, Woe to him who, who, who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. He's saying, well, woe to the Chaldeans because what they're doing is going out and they're providing for themselves provisions so that they can be protected from the evil enemy. They can be protected from those who would be going after them so they can build themselves big nests way up in the sky so nobody can possibly reach them. He says, for the stone, verse 11, will even cry out from the wall. The beam from the woodwork will respond. What he says is, there may be no people who can come and accuse you of the great evil that you've been doing. However, even the foundation of your home will be like, hey, this one's evil. And, and, and the wooden beams will be like, yep, exactly what he said. So you can't escape. God says, you will not escape. There will always be witnesses and testimony to your great wickedness, and you will be judged. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. These people were violent, and they, they continued to build their, 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 their empire upon their, their brutality, and God says, no, you will be judged for that as well. Verse 15, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath, and you make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Babylon was, was famous for shaming the people they would come in and overthrow. And so what they would do is get these people drunk and then strip them so that they're all of their, 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 their glory, there they are, and they would mock and mock and mock, and God says to them, you, verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Verse 19, God says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and a silent stone, stand up. Can those things actually teach you, man? It's overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath in it at all. God mocks them and says, you will be judged for talking to a stick and a stone and calling on those as gods. See, see what, what God says to Habakkuk's very emotional plea of God, I, 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 I disagree. This is not a good plan. God's response is, hey, 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 hey. I'm God. I know who they are. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. We see that in, in verse 2 of chapter 2. And the Lord answered to me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. All right, so just for a second there, understand what he's saying. He's saying, what I want you to do is take this message that I'm preaching right now, and I want you to write it on a tablet in really big letters so that as you're running away from the Babylonians, you can still read it and see that I'm going to deliver you at some point. So, so make a billboard so that those people who are being pursued by the Chaldeans, by the Babylonians, who, who are, are, are afraid for their lives, make it really big so that they can have a little hope as they're putting on their track shoes trying to get out of town before they get overthrown. Um, th th that verse right there, this is kind of a little side thing, but that verse right there is yet another place in Scripture where the idea that life for the child of God is, is nothing but unexpected financial gain and gumdrops and lollipops, that is just a bunch of garbage. 
even in this moment, God says, run. Run. Now know that I've got you, but run. This this is interesting. He says this in, in verse three. Still the vision awaits its appointed time. It speaks to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So, so time will pass. But be assured, Habakkuk, it will happen that I'll judge the Babylonians. I know it may seem like it's not going to happen, and you're running as fast as you can, and they're, they're right at your heels, but, but I'm telling you, at some point, it will happen. I will judge them. The tension that exists is this. Hearing that from God doesn't make it any easier. The questions that Habakkuk was asking still leave a wound in his soul. Yeah, we can confess and we can acknowledge that God knows that God's in control. We could, we could pass a lie detector test and answer the question about who God is and, 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 and that, that he's in control and that he is sovereign and that he is good and that he loves us. You could, you could pass a lie detector test, but it doesn't help you heal your soul. There's still questions. So, so as you're running away from your Babylon, crying out for answers, weeping because the answers just aren't coming, It's in this moment, in this tension, that we are given one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. It's also one of the most profoundly misunderstood statements in all of Scripture. See, what God says is, while you are running, while this tension exists, while you are still trying to wrestle between, God, I think you're wrong, and me saying, I'm God, I know what I'm doing, while you're wrestling in that tension, I want you to check your heart and don't live like the Babylonians. Look at, look at verse 4 of chapter 2. Behold, the, his soul is puffed up. It's arrogant. It's prideful. It's not upright. It's not righteous within him. He says, don't, don't live like them. They're, they're living according to their desires in their pride in their arrogance and in their greed. They're they're living in their their selfishness. They will do anything to gain what they want. They they want to feel a certain way. They want to have a certain level of lifestyle. They want to dominate the world. They want to live for themselves. And listen, if you live like that, it's, it's all about what you can accumulate and what your perfect little cubed life will look like. If that's what's most important to you, and if that's what your ideal is, man, when when real life settles in and everything goes backwards, you are going to be hopeless. So here we go. Don't live like them. Instead, here's the profound statement, the end of verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. Pretty clear, huh? So what in the world does that mean? Um, I, th- th- does living by faith mean you're just simply slap happy all the time? You're giddy all the time? Uh, th- th- does it mean that you never doubt what it is that God's doing? Does that mean that in the midst of personal tragedy, we never cry or shed a tear, we never mourn, we, we never grieve? 
Does it mean that we refuse to ask God hard questions when life is upside down? Is that what it means to live by faith? No. No, Living by faith is, is, uh, okay. Mm. Living by faith is so misunderstood even within these walls here. Chapter 3 of Habakkuk. What Habakkuk does is he gives us one of the most beautiful psalms that's not contained in the book of Psalms. And what he begins to do is he begins to talk about the very bigness and the might and the power and the authority of God. And he lays it all out and he does it within the context of Israel's history. And he looks back at their escape from, from Egypt and how God led them along the way and how God provided for them along the way, how God was continuing to be faithful to them. He, he continues and talks about that, that time in Joshua when, when, when God made the sun and the moon stand still to elongate the day so that the children of Israel could win the battle. I mean, he talks about all of these things and he, he weaves through all of those things about how the majesty of God, the, the power of God, the the authority of God. I mean, he's talking about how, how God will overthrow the wicked rulers, how he, verse 15, he tramples the sea with his horses, the surging of mighty waters. I mean, this is a big deal, and he's, he's laying it all out so that we would be overwhelmed with worship, and at the conclusion of it, this is what he says. He's like, you know, I'm thinking about all these things, and it's amazing. In verse 16 of chapter 3, I hear, and my body trembles. And my lips quiver at the sound and rottenness enters into my bones and my legs, they tremble beneath me. Does that sound like living by faith? I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. I know you've said all these things and my soul is just wrecked. I think in our foolish machismo within churches, we, we, we tack that and attack that as being, oh, that's doubt. That's doubt. That sounds like a lack of living in faith. Living by faith does not mean always being strong. Man, one of the biggest problems is like, oh, I just got just to just buckle up underneath it and just put it on my chest. Just, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. No, then it's you trying to live in your own strength. Living by faith does not mean always being strong. It's not an easy road. It's terrifying, it's hard, it's difficult, and it's filled with pain and heartache. It's filled with moments where your inability, your lack, your loss, your weakness is all that you can think about. But living by faith has, has nothing to do with always being strong. It's in spite of our weakness. It's also, living by faith is also not based on how, how good things are going at the moment. I mean, look at his description in verse 17. He says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, though there, there should be no fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive may fail, the ye- fields will yield no food, the flock may be cut off from the fold, there's no herd in the stalls. Stop there for a moment. Think about this. If that happened next year in Carroll County, we are done. As an agricultural county, all the crops fail, 
folds of sheep, of sheep, of flocks are missing. There's absolutely no cattle in our stalls. Folks, we're done. We are bankrupt. We have nothing in that moment. And, and what's happening here in the book of Habakkuk, is, it's amazing, is, is he's walking through, he's like, listen, I'm supposed to live by faith, but I'm going to be honest with you. There is rottenness in my bones, and I'm having trouble standing because my knees are knocking so much. And, 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 and I look around, and we are in complete financial collapse and ruin, and we have no outlook, no potential future goodness coming our way because we have lost literally everything. Let me... Let me Throw this at you, though. Living by faith doesn't mean always being strong, and living by faith isn't based on how good things are going. Living by faith includes a lot of yets. Let's read verse 16 to the end of the chapter so you can see what I'm talking about. He says this, I hear my body quivers. It trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my, my legs, they, they tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And even though the fig tree shouldn't blossom and the, there's no fruit on the vines and the produce of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Back saying, listen, I look around and, 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 and the fear is real. The heartache is crushing. The questions just don't seem to have any answers. The provisions are missing. There is utter and total devastation at times. So, so, so when God says, but the just live by faith, the, the righteous live by faith. So that's what I want you to do. In our heads, we're like, we're just going to, all right, man up and go. But is that really living by faith? I mean, what is faith? Faith is not this um, belief in something that's just a little quirky. And you look at it like, well, like our kids and some of the things they believe as children, which I shall not name just in case I ruin a surprise and I get angry emails and people hunt me down in the parking lot. Thanks, my kid believed in that until you said that. Their belief in that is not what faith is. The, <laughs> the people who believe in Bigfoot, yeah, no, that's not it either. See, some people think that's what faith is in the Christian religion. They think that, so our kids believe in that, and, and these interesting people believe in Bigfoot, and Christians believe in Jesus. Now, faith isn't a belief in something that's ridiculous or hard to grasp. Faith isn't something that makes much of yourself. When a difficult time comes and you keep that stiff upper lip and you don't shed a tear, what amazing faith you have! And that's not faith. I'll tell you what faith is. Faith is fully taking God at his word. So, so faith is whatever he says, it's true. It's right. It captivates me. It drives me. 
It's, it's hearing about God's presence in both good times and bad times. It's, it's hearing about his love and his care. It's hearing about his power and his might, about his involvement in all things and his sovereignty. It's hearing about how much he loves you. It's hearing about how he sent his son Jesus Christ to die so you didn't have to. It's, it's hearing about the, the work that God finished, defeating sin, death, and the grave when Jesus rose again from the dead. It's hearing about the future, visible victory of God. It's hearing all of those things and living like it's all true. Living by faith is saying yet, even when it hurts. It's not absent of heartache and brokenness. It's never outside that context. I think, I think one of the, the things that happens is for all of us, we have a definite plan of what our life should look like. We have a definite, I don't mean like a five-year plan, you know, we're going to be this, this. I don't mean that. I mean, if I was to ask you, so what, what would be a good life for you? And you would be like, there it is right here. And you would lay it all out. The problem is that we have, we have all these wonderful plans and all of these ideas, excuse me, about how we think, should, how we think things should go. But his ways are better. His plans are better. And we have to live by faith, which means we have to surrender our plans to his. That is not easy. Lord, may the Lord forgive us for some of the things that we have said to people in times of hurt implying that it is easy. We've, we've lost three um, babies um, in miscarriage. And some of the things that have been said to us are appalling. Well, that, that baby, maybe that baby wasn't going to follow Jesus, so God did you a solid there. Come here. I'll punch you right in the throat. Oh, we know all things work together for good. They do. Absolutely. Can I be honest with you? The, what makes that verse so beautiful is that it's not that, oh, rosy, rosy, God turns everything for good. It means God takes the garbage and goes, watch this. Good. And so stop telling people that the death of their child is going to be good. It's never going to be good. God is. And God's perfect puzzle and plan and wonderful working in our lives is going to be precious. And do we understand it? No, we do not. So Lord, forgive us for our foolishness in trying to find an easy answer. To, to, to heal the wound of someone's heart that honestly on this side of heaven will never be healed. But there's still hope. Because on this side of heaven, as we live saying yet, even when it hurts, the, the, the proclamation from our mouth may be, this stinks, this kills. I don't know how I'm going to get out of bed in the morning, but this is what I know. Yet God is my salvation. Not, not the change in circumstances, not somebody coming with a winsome word that's going to just flip my day around. Oh, everything's great. No, God is my salvation. 
See, the living by faith is, is understanding that, that he was, he is, and he will be. And he's all of those things at the same time. Wrap your head around that one. It is. It's, it's, it's this picture. We get a little clue in, in your Bible. If you look at your Bible real close in verse 18, most versions give us a little clue. When he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, you'll look and that word Lord is in all small capital letters, right? And anytime you see that in, the, in Scripture, when it's in, in the capital letters, that, that word is actually talking about the, the name Yahweh. Yahweh is, is, if there was a personal name for God, it would be Yahweh. That's the name he used to describe himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 from the burning bush when he said, tell him I am sent me, sent you. Tell, tell, tell him I am. And, and, and that's, that's his name. His name is not just I was. And his name certainly isn't just I will be eventually. His name is I am. Which means there is never a time in your existence he's not. And so what we can find is this incredible hope that, 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 that we can say yet, yet, because of who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. See, there's, there's coming a day where we will be able to see him face to face in his future victory. We'll be able to soak it all in, and we will be with him forever. And I know, because my mind works the same way, I'm like, listen, I can't watch the same television program for like two hours without being like, heaven's going to be a drag. I don't like halos. Really not comfortable with the whole robe thing. So what what am I going to do for eternity upon eternity upon eternity? Hey, you want to know how amazing God is? That we will be there for ten thousands of ten thousands of ten thousands of ten thousands years, and we're we're gonna be taking him all in, and every moment of every day we'll be getting something new. And it'll blow your mind. There is no end to the beauty of God in eternity. So what is living by faith? It's submitting our ways to him even when it rots. It's falling on our faces before him and asking that he would give us the strength for that moment. So how did you come to Jesus? By faith. What did that look like? It looked like you finally getting to the end of yourself, to the place where you're like, I've got nothing else. I can't please God on my own. Jesus, I need you and you alone to do it. So I'm going to fall on you, and I need you to carry me, and I need you to give me your righteousness because I've got nothing. That's what living by faith looks like. I've got nothing. And because of the nature of the fallen place we live, that always happens within the context of heartbreak, disappointment, sorrow, and hardship. And take comfort. You are not expected by God to run through this life skipping and singing a happy tune when everything else around you is falling apart. What he asks of you is this. Live by faith. Put that trust in him. Hold on to him with everything you got. Beautiful picture in scripture that sometimes gets overlooked. That we're not the ones holding on to him. He's got us by his right hand. We're not going anywhere. He holds us.
and cares for us as we seek to live by faith. God was, God is, and God will always be. There's coming a day we'll see him face to face and he'll make sense of this crazy, screwed up place that we're living. I know, it seems like it may not happen. It seems like we're still waiting. It will happen. It will not delay. If it seems slow, wait for it because it'll surely come. Let's pray. Lord, there's, there's just moments in each of our lives where we um, come to the end of ourselves and want answers and become very demanding. There's times in our lives where we're just so hurt. We, the only thing we want to ask is why. Lord, may we be careful not to, to portray that this is something so very simple. Because it's not. It's hard. It's difficult. But you are worth it. And God, in the middle of difficulty and, and heartache, may we find our comfort and hope not in anything else, but simply in you. Knowing that in your strength, you'll carry us. Lord, may we continue to learn to rest and rely on the everlasting arms. May we love you more. Amen.